Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how not to be an asshole at work. You'll learn about bad bosses, how they can be detected and handled, as well as how to tell if you happen to be one. Join an executive and an executive coach, both artists working in marketing and advertising for over two decades, who are here to offer you the ultimate guide on how to navigate any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I'm Stephanie Payrollo. And I'm Eugene S. Robinson. And today, episode 28, is the victim show. I had to fight like a dog in the streets for everything I got. That's my my number one refrain. (laughs) I start my day with that pretty much. (laughs) Despite it coming through, you know. It's so so nice to play victim sometimes. Well, and that's what we're going to talk about today is the kind of sometimes it's nuanced. If you feel like you are a victim and have been done wrong, if you have to work with someone who feels like they're a victim. And I want to be really intentional about I'm using the word victim not pejoratively. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about people who have actually suffered real harm and who are indeed suffering. Right? So I'm, I'm not in any way making light of this. And what brought this to mind for me is I was listening to, um, I'm a big Dan Savage fan and I subscribe to his podcast. So I get this special podcast called Sex and Politics. And mm-hmm. he was talking to the writer Kat Rosenfield. And she said something that really stuck in my mind. She was talking about um, being an advice columnist for young people about 10 years ago. And something that she saw come up that she calls its main character syndrome. And this is a quote from the podcast. People wanted to feel like they were the heroes of their own stories. And right now, and for the past 10 years or so, to be the hero of your story often involves telling a story about how you were oppressed or victimized in some way. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's true? Sort of, you know, I mean, it's the hero's journey that um, in, in the face of a large absence of grit, you know, generations of kids who have grown up here and that their parents had to walk 20 miles in the snow, um, we've, to a certain degree, sort of embraced grit as a narrative, and uh, which is fine. But then it seems to, there's a phrase that I've heard, you know, uh, 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 what is it, Uh, uh, trauma chasing, where, where, um, and this is where, you know, maybe it sounds pejorative, but this is where people are, are creating whole cloth, like, oh, you know, Somebody didn't give me a hot dog when I was eight, so now I'm having trauma. You know, real re- real victims are easily identifiable, um, but the the desire to be the star of your own movie and to have grit as part of your narrative, you know, sort of burnishes the brand to a certain degree. So I I understand that, uh, and also and also on the other side, like happened with Freud, um, you have people who are justifiably aggrieved who are now having their moment because nobody's listened to them before. So that is, you know, and I go back to the Freud thing because he poo-pooed all of these women who had said for years that they were being sexually molested. He was like, how is this even possible that this hat? And of course, in the fullness of time, we realized that Freud was very definitely wrong on that count, that there was a lot more stinky things going on there in Denmark than he might've cared to notice. But um, so I think, yeah, both are happening. I think think it sensitized us to wrongdoing in a way that, you know, thankfully, uh, we're doing now that we hadn't been doing 50 years ago. So, I think, though, that when you say it's easy to identify a victim, I don't know if that's true. 
Because I, I do think that we as individuals and particularly as leaders at work, we carry our own cultural narrative, right? We have our own rules on that says that person is a slacker. This person has a legitimate grievance. I guess I, guess, I, guess I was thinking about, I, I've said, said to myself before, everybody else, most people have difficulties, but the only people that I'm willing to allow have real problems are people who have been uh, sexually abused or have chronic illness. And I, I figure if you've got both, either one of those or both of those, that you've got really heavy things that you'll be dealing with for the entirety of your existence. So um, that's kind of that's kind of where I was coming out with. Like those people are identifiable to me as having almost insurmountable problems. I can't imagine. So, but see, this is one of the situations where you know when I was thinking about this as a topic. I mm -hmm. felt some diffidence about doing this because I have really mixed feelings about this mm -hmm. because I certainly have victim narratives about my own experience on the planet mm -hmm. that I've written about, that I've talked about, that I've stood on stages and, and told as stories. And I do understand mm -hmm. that that influences my perspective. So you have a list of who you think is a victim and who you will say this person, because I mean, ultimately what we're talking about is how does this manifest in the workplace, right? Correct. And, and, you know, so you have a list. One of the things that, one of the things that is not on your list is a, is bereavement. And mm -hmm. to me, having lost a son, mm -hmm. I understand the impact of losing someone who's close to you, mm -hmm. caring for someone who's ill over a long period of time. I understand what that does. And so I have a different set of a, a different set of circumstances, a different understanding. So if someone who's working for me says, you know, my kid just had a, you know, car accident and has a traumatic brain injury and is in the ICU, yeah. I'm gonna bend over backwards to make accommodations for that person because I was that person, you know, yeah. many years ago, but I was that person. See, I would call that terminal illness, right? I mean, if there's something that you're not getting better from, I I think that's a justifiable. I can't again something I can't even a horror that I can't imagine. So right, but I think and I think just that's a I'm saying that to just mm. illustrate the fact that each of us well-meaning people who are coming here to talk about how do you right. make these decisions because of our life experience, we have really different we have really different perspectives, right? And I think that that what is challenging here is that you know if you are in a workplace situation mm. i think people deserve accommodations but at the same time leaders need to make sometimes tough decisions mm. because there are people who will exaggerate the impact of something mm. or who are not necessarily realistic about what they can accomplish so for example mm. if i were to say i want to go to work at a job in a warehouse and mm -hmm. the, you know, boss said, okay, one of the job requirements is you have to be able to lift 40 pounds. Right. Well, I can lift 40 pounds in the gym, but picking up like a sack of flour is mm -hmm. not something that I can physically handle it at my age. Mm -hmm. I may think that I can, I may mm -hmm. overestimate my capacity and I may not be able to do the job. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I think that's, an, that's a, you know, kind of silly example, but there are circumstances where mm -hmm. People, for whatever circumstances, whatever it is happening to them, they do not have the capacity yeah. to do a job and accommodation is not going to work for them. And leaders sometimes have to make really, really tough decisions.
Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's funny. You should. It, it, this is coming up now in the in the Bay Area uh, recently. I was reading some work journal, and somebody had had a uh, disability, um, it, and I don't believe it was a visible disability. You know, now they have when you apply to a job, they have a section where they talk to you about your disabilities. Do you have a pre-existing disability of any kind? And they list them, anything from I'm depressed on Tuesdays to whatever. And uh, generally, if you guess that maybe you should click that you don't have disabilities, even if you do, probably that's the most right move. This person honestly said, I have no disabilities, uh, developed a disability uh, on the job and was summarily let go. Um, and they were trying to do everything somehow to connect the dots between their declaration of disability and their being let go, but they were not being successful in being able to do so, but they're pretty sure. And so, you know, the advice there was to seek a lawyer, but um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time given, you know, reorganization and changes in hiring structures to actually have a disability that people don't think is a disability, right? Well, and I think that we need to name that we live in a culture that simultaneously rewards people with attention for narrating their story of being a victim, particularly on social media, where we have an ongoing outrage Olympics. Right. On the other hand, it is a deeply sexist, racist, and ableist corporate culture in which most of us have to move. Right? Mm-hmm. And and particularly with people who have uh, disabilities that are not obvious. And I have to say to those people now rolling their eyes at what you just said, all you have to do is to read what Elon Musk said today. And you know that we're not making this stuff up, <laughs> right? He's blaming DEI on planes crashing and, uh, you know, and, and I think murder. He's blaming it on murder and the lowered standards. So look, yeah. It's what yeah, it's not. It is, this is, yeah. It's definitely the experience of, of a lot of people. So let's get yeah. to some practical things. So I think this is some that anyone in leadership should think about this before they get there. Right. So mm-hmm. if, even if you don't have this circumstance right now, if you're in leadership or want to be, look at a couple things. First, do some assessments. Right. Does your workplace have reasonable leave policies? Mm-hmm. Right. And so here's an example. I saw this a couple of different times during uh, the pandemic where corporations, you know, people that I was working with or for had really reasonable leave policies mm-hmm. and they added mental health days, right? How, whatever they called them, extra paid time off that people could schedule in any way that they wanted to, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it was to celebrate a religious holiday that wasn't Christian or if it was just because everything was too much for them. And, and I heard of leaders where people on their team said, I need a mental health day. You need to schedule two extra days before Thanksgiving so that we can all get a mental health break. And the boss was like, but you have mental health days in your PTO bank that you have not used. Mm -hmm. No, but it's a performative thing. You as a leader need to perform that you are understanding the trauma that all of us are living through every day during the pandemic. Now that is, I'm I'm not in any way discounting the trauma Mm -hmm. of living through the pandemic, But the idea is if there are already leave system, paid time off days in place, then you as a leader have a different platform. Now, the reality is most workplaces 
do not have adequate leave policies. In the United States, you don't yeah. are not getting paid parental leave. Bereavement yeah. leave is 15 minutes. I mean, that's just that's not happening, right? Yeah. So the first thing that you can do is is tr- if you are a leader, try to get your company to provide broader leave policies. Right? Mm-hmm. The idea of having just a bank of PTO days, paid time off, that mm-hmm. anyone can use for whatever reason can be mm-hmm. really, really valuable in that you don't, as an individual leader, have to make a decision about whether or not to accommodate someone. Right. Yeah. And then I think the second thing is, you know, consider the overall productivity of the person who is asking for accommodations. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I've seen a lot of times people who need special accommodations who like let's let's use the example of someone who's a very high performer who has migraines right. and maybe they have migraines you know two or three days a month right. and the migraines are incapacitating and mm-hmm. they're doing everything they've got medication they're doing all the things they still it just happens mm-hmm. if that person is a high performer if they mm-hmm. get their work done ahead if they have contingencies in place for what happens when they go mm-hmm. let them go yeah right? right like like just it, it's okay if everything isn't fair it's okay that if you have a really high performer who has some kind of, you know, whatever, then you can you can accommodate them and you can maybe accommodate them differently, right? And I'm not I, talking about the legal aspects. I'm just talking about sort of ethically. I'm, I'm smiling because I'm thinking of the, the Negro folktale of High John the Conqueror, which I don't, I don't know if you know. It's in a great book by Julius Lester. And he, High John the Conqueror, of course, is, was antebellum. So he's a, he was a slave and he had a system. And his system was there were some years, maybe several years in a row, where he would just kill it, his job naturally being picking cotton. So he was picking tons of like, just create like more than anybody combined. And five, six years in a row like this. And then he would decide apropos of whatever, how he felt, fuck it. I'm not doing it again. So he would like take two years where he was just the lazy, I'm, I'm stealing, taking stuff from the master, fucking burning down the barn by accident. You know? But the master was really compelled to not murder him. This is how it's written in the, the folktale because of the years that he was great. And I, I, it always kind of stuck with me, kind of what you just said, which is the idea that if you're a high performer, you could probably get away with murder. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sure that's not the lesson that we're supposed to take from it. But, you know, you can get away with murder because everybody's happy with high performers. Right. I mean, that's that's where they got to come out on that one. So. Well, unfortunately, it's like anyone that is in a disadvantaged position, right? It, yeah. Whether you're dealing with a disability or you ha- need some sort of accommodation for whatever, you are going to have to work harder in order to stay employed. I mean, let's just let's name that. Right? Yep. And then I think the other thing that leaders can do is really look carefully at your narratives because I believe like we said at the top of the show, right? We each have a list of, we have, we have a hierarchical list in our mind of like what deserves accommodation, what our heart goes out to. And I think as leaders, we need to be honest about that. Right. So do you, the, the example that I used about the person with a migraine, is that story land differently for you? If it's a woman who has some sort of menstrual issue and needs to be out you know, three days a month. Mm -hmm. Is that different if that woman doesn't get any medical treatment Mm -hmm. than if she does, right? Mm -hmm. I think all of us have a hierarchy. Is what about the woman, what about the white woman Mm -hmm. who um, has only ever lived in Akron, Ohio, who all of her family is in Akron, Ohio, who Mm -hmm. is spending so much time on social media that she says that she is having a mental health crisis because of focusing on what's happening in Gaza right now. (laughs) Does she get special accommodations? 
Yeah. Right. And I'm not I'm not saying this to make fun of people. Right. right, right. But like, should if there is, you know, I mean, there's there's so many examples right, Mm -hmm. that are filtered through our experience. Like I remember when, you know, insert the murder of a black person at the hands of police Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. and and, you know, black people and people of black and brown people were really struggling to show up at work. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there were white leaders who were like, really? Mm-hmm. And doing their own version of an eye roll for something that I personally think is incredibly valid. So right. I think to understand what narratives you're carrying and be honest about that, that would be something that would be great to work with an executive coach or a friend or a mentor to understand how you prioritize, because then you know what you're working against if someone comes to you and says, we need an accommodation. Right, right. Well, and, and this is where me being a New Yorker, I, I have never assumed for a second um, as a result of having grown up in New York City that anybody's going to give a crap about me. So, um, you know, all of these, um, you know, even even up to and including deaths in the family, I, I don't think I've ever taken a bereavement leave. I don't think, um, and and I'm not saying that this is healthy. I don't say this as a as a, as, as a badge of honor in, in any way, shape, or form. But uh, uh, close family members have died, and I've dutifully gone off to work. You know, uh, 9/11 happened, and I got up, saw it happening, got up, got in the car, drove to work. Had to be forced out of the workplace because I was working at Adobe then, and that's right in the flight path at, at San Jose Airport. And they were like, "You have to leave." I go, "For what?" They go, we're in the flight path. We don't know what's going to happen. I didn't. I mean, and mostly because I'm haunted by this idea that, um, you know, that that accommodations are for others, not for me. My best friend at Adobe was out for eight months on 80% salary because he was having problems with alcohol. I would never in a thousand years, even were I to be having problems with alcohol, think that that was something that was easily and comfortably available to me. I don't believe it. So, Right. And and I think that's, I mean, one of the challenges in looking at this is for a lot of people, we have that, I did the same thing on 9-11, did yeah. the exact same thing, drove yeah. into work, was told you have to go home where we share an office with a government, you know, a government sure, agency, yeah. you have to leave um, right. and then, and then drove home. But I think part of the challenge too, for leaders who are in this position of having to make decisions mm-hmm. is that a lot of us have not metabolized our mm-hmm. own difficulties. Yeah. Right. So people who went through and like in your circumstance, who, mm-hmm. who were in a position where they could not get accommodations. Mm. They had to do these things or they had these stories or these mm. experiences. They had to, they're in a position where they have to be better than everyone else. Mm. If if you have not metabolized that hurt, then it might be challenging for you to look on someone else who has something that doesn't seem that big. Right. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, and I think this is a particular yeah. watch out for older people. And I say yeah. this to older people is, you know, if we are ever using the word coddle, mm-hmm. Peter, spoiled mm-hmm. or we're mm-hmm. referring to, you know, generation so-and-so as being needing to be molly coddled. Those yeah. are all warning signs that we have lost our perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I see it happen all the time. And I also see, you know, I've been noticing and talking about my frustration with older white women being mm-hmm. an older white woman myself. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what ends up happening in these, you know, the, that there are women who have never metabolized their 
ageism, sexism, the difficulties that they've come up with in the work world. Mm -hmm. And now they see other people who are claiming difficulties or wanting to have victimhood. And mm -hmm. they're treating it like it's a competition, right. right? If I acknowledge that you as a Black woman mm -hmm. are suffering because of X or that you as a Palestinian need different um, treatment or accommodations because your entire family are now refugees, mm -hmm. there can be this reflexive, well, what about me? Mm -hmm. What about my story? And it reminds me, I was thinking about this this old story of like, Heaven and hell look the same. Yeah. They're both tables filled with food and everybody has a really long spoon. Mm -hmm. And the people in hell are trying to feed themselves with a long spoon and they can't. And they're really angry because they can't eat the food. And mm -hmm. the people in heaven are feeding each other. <laughs> Where did you get that? Or did you just know, make who knows? I picked it up somewhere. I did not make that up. That is not mine. But I think it's a really good, I think it's a really good explanation because if if I can show up in the workplace and mm -hmm. say, I carry the burden of sexism and you know how I was treated when my son was disabled and when he died, and use that to make me more compassionate and mm -hmm. recognize that I haven't experienced what this person is experiencing, but they are suffering. And I want to show up in a compassionate way. I want to extend to them the grace and understanding that I wish had been extended to me. That's very different than if I show up and be like, oh, yeah, nobody gave a shit about me when my son was in the ICU. So why should I care about fill in the blank? Well, and I'm laughing also because I remember getting into a problem with a junior staffer and um, I had wanted to use a headline that said, oh, no. Right. It was for a sex column. Right. Right. Sex column. So this is it's uh, it's topsy turvy land when you deal with a sex column. Right. Because there's an understanding at the outset. There's a trigger warning that you're going to be discussing things that are intimate. Um, so one of the junior staffers go, I don't like the headline. And I was like, great. I don't care. <laughs> and like, well, no, let me tell you why I don't like the headline, because um, I used to be a sex worker. And um, at one point I was uh, sexually assaulted. So it puts me. It, 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 it hits me in the wrong way. I go, well, you're not the only sex worker who works here. And you're not the only person who's been sexually assaulted who works here. You might be talking to one of those people, um, I said to her. Um, and I said, it's a headline under a trigger warning that explains that it's a sex column and you might, you know, you might have stuff that offends your sensibilities. And she listened to me and she left my office and she just did probably what we would have suggested. She elevated it to my boss who changed the headline, <laughs> you know, which, uh, which I, I found, I found, I found irksome um, because the column wasn't for me or her. It was for a generalized readership of people who were interested in, you know, discussions of, you know, human sexuality. So, um, but I didn't make it a competition and I just kind of rolled with it and went on with my business and they changed the headline. It was their business. They were entitled to do so, but I'm mentioning it now because I'm still irked by it. <laughs> I agree. I agree with your colleague. Ah, you're wrong. <laughs> and here's why, because a headline is different yeah. than the body copy. If that was right. something that was in the body copy, yep. then yeah, you've passed the trigger warning. You understand that you are choosing to read a sex column. I have read many of your sex columns. I knew what I was getting into. 
But a headline, you're scanning. There's other things in the publication. It's above the trigger warning. And it is also, it is demeaning to women Mm. in a way that, is not part of your experience. And I think that's one of the things that- right. You didn't know whether it was a male or a female sex worker. It was unknown. I've had I, male workers write in. But the word ho is oh, yeah. usually used to refer to a woman. Mm. And it has all sorts of freight and baggage. Mm. And I think it's one of those circumstances where you, know, you as a man, could have possibly said, okay, I deal with a lot of stuff when I walk through the world, but sexism is not one of those things that I deal with. Mm -hmm. And was the colleague that was talking to you who had been a sex worker a woman? Yes. You know, then you could have maybe privileged the fact that she had access to experience that mm -hmm. you did not have access to. Mm -hmm. Just a thought. We can agree to disagree. <laughs> no, they're extenuating circumstances, but I tend to, I tend to, I'm not, I'm, it's not about that. I don't want to yes. go down the rabbit hole. Exactly. Uh, but I right. think, and then just the last part is, you know, err on the side of accommodation. You know, when my son was in a car accident, I was working for McCann Erickson and they treated me very, very badly. Uh, they fired me, even though I had FMLA protection. And he died. And I went on to have a successful career winning lots and lots of business for ad agencies that were not McCann Erickson. Millions right. of dollars for their competition. Yep. And if they had treated me better, if they had made reasonable accommodations, one, they wouldn't have paid me the settlement that they had to pay me. Two, I would have kept working for them and I would have been so loyal, right? Yeah. I would have stayed there. Right. And so right. recognize that even if you don't agree, even if you, you know, whatever narratives you have, accommodating people can be good in the long run because business karma is mm -hmm. a thing. And I might've told this story before, but the, the woman who was my boss, who was terrible to me during that whole time, Later on, applied for a job at the agency where I was working in leadership. <laughs> and the president of the agency said, hey, Stephanie, didn't you used to work with so-and-so? It looks like you both worked at the same place. And I said, yes, I did work with her. And he said, should I bring her in for an interview? And I said, no. <laughs> that was it. I didn't say anything else. But yep. Yep. hey, business yep. karma is a yep. real thing. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Do you, have any, do you have a fire me for us? Um, well, I've been in that position once. Yeah, I, the, uh, the fire me, it's like, I, I this is kind of a, a reverse fire me in that it is, uh, what is that great Tom Jones speech? Whenever there's a little guy getting pushed around by the, by the big guy, I'll be there, you know? Um, and this is, I don't know if you've been able to read, and this will tie into one of the later sub roses, if you've been reading the press about how uh, Sundar... Uh, at Google has mishandled these layoffs and people who are being laid off there, despite it being a really glorious uh, uh, severance package, are pushing back now. So there've been a, a, a tranche of articles this week on how, or the most recent one being that managers, the managerial class at Google is boring and inept. This is a this is a direct quote from a piece in a large, you know, like I think maybe it was Fortune magazine, and it's like. You know, companies have a lot of battles to fight, and I'm sure if you're an upper management at at Google, it feels unjustifiable that you're being dragged across the coast. Look, you're like Gaddafi. What did I ever do to you? I've only done good things for you outside of just lay you off. But um, 
um, I, I can feel this kind of C-suite shock that the that the that the that the hoi polloi are kind of like unhappy with the way this is being handled. It's like what this is business. What would you think it was going to go on forever? Come on, and they're just not getting it. And so you know what had been a fairly had been a fairly tight ship is now completely porous. People are going to the media. People are sharing uh, uh, the transcripts from Slack channels. People are recording internal meetings and letting them loose. And this is loyalty, two-way street in business, two-way street in business. So you don't give it, you don't get it, and you either develop a carapace at that point where you just go, whatever, it's off my show, it's got to happen. Or you go back to the original plan, which is to not do evil or whatever that ridiculous motto was over at Google. So it's just interesting to watch them try to kind of process what's happening. Like, how strong do we want to be in return to work? How aggressive do we want to be in in this reorg? How And uh, people are attacking us. What do we do? I mean, they have stockholders to answer to. It's a publicly traded company. So it's interesting to watch this dance. But it's interesting. It's not just there, too. You know, it's happening other places. And you can look. There are examples. Like, Apple's been very quiet about They've laid people off at Apple. But it's very quiet, very gentle. They've not. The ship is still you know, hold it. Microsoft, same deal. I got friends who are working at Microsoft, same deal. But Google is doing a particularly strange job of it and Salesforce as well, given especially who they were before. So. Well, and it's also, there's a hubris in the fact that there are people whose job is to land this differently, right? Yeah. Public relations, yes. crisis communications, you know, yes. like, like executive coaches who specialize in this. There's a whole raft of trained professionals who you can pay to make this less of a shit show. And the fact that it didn't- Two of them are right here. Two of them (laughs) right here. Just FYI. Just FYI. Okay. And the fact that they didn't choose to do that, that they thought I can handle this internally or we can handle it internally or I'm going to hire my buddy, whatever, who has no experience doing this. That again is part of the problem. This idea that they think that they are insulated from reality and, you know, I think this this is a useful correction. All right. That's all we have time for. If you have any thoughts or comments or show ideas for us, you can reach us at WTF at BadBossBrief.com. Thanks for joining us. See you later. Adios. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bad Boss Brief podcast with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and eugenesrobinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's number 3, on Instagram. Reach out with your questions, concerns, workcase situations, or suggestions to us at WTF at BadBossGrief.com. We personally answer every submission. Be sure to join us at BadBossGrief.substack.com every other Wednesday for episodes of Bad Boss Brief and every single week for our Sub Rosa shorts so you can gain further insights into your workplace environments. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work. Thank you.